The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Hello, YouTube. Welcome to the 26th episode of the Jacked of All Trades podcast. My name is Brandon. I'm the Bull of Bay Street, and I'm here with your favorite traders and investors, David and Kalen. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Right. How about yourself? I'm doing great, guys. Just so excited to be back on the show without all of the technical difficulties. And I was off last week, of course. <laughs> you know, we found out that's probably not our even our fault. It was uh, Discord. It's yeah, interesting. It was like a setting that turned itself on. Yeah. Uh, and to prove it, Kaylin, last week when we did the show, you came on, didn't change your settings. It still worked, even though yeah. me and Sam adjusted mine. So it's like. But then I had to change it when I came on this time because I came on this time, my video wasn't working. So I had to adjust it. Oh, yeah. See, it's done. Yeah. So. so we're good now. Regardless, we're good. We're back on. So we just closed out the second quarter of 2021. We're now at the halfway point of the year. Given that, I just wanted to focus our discussions on the key events of Q2 and look forward and talk about some of the very important themes pertaining to the second half of 2021. Before that, however, I just want to go through a very quick uh, recap of what happened last week. So equity prices did rise last week and major averages continued their ascent to new all-time price highs. The most significant thing, however, that hasn't been getting a lot of attention is that the S&P 500 is now on a seven-day streak of records, which is nothing short of incredible. Something that hasn't been accomplished since the year 1997 when we were in the midst of the dot-com boom. What do you guys think about that? Seven days of all-time highs. Straight. Yeah, I, I saw that at the end of last week and I couldn't believe it. So I went back and looked at it and was like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. My, my, my Twitter is going off the handle with uh, economists and research analysts saying like, this is going to be just like the dot-com bubble. They're all warning about crashes and whatnot. Well, the great I, thing I, is, um, it, if you would have looked at 1997 and you would have said that, you would have missed out on, I think, over a double on the S&P. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. can see that. It's different now too, right? Like, I mean, we got all these tech stuff, stocks booming and stuff, but it's not like we're, we're growing the internet. Like these are all new companies that are advancing and everything like that, right? Like it's like, like David, that thing that you sent me before, the guy that was talking about the, the uh, dot-com bubble, he said it was basically just like a race to get into the internet. And then, you know, like, so these companies grow and grow and grow. And then all of a sudden they, they're just here and they stop. So that's when everything crashed, right? Whereas now we're in, we're in a stage where all these companies, yeah, they're growing really rapidly, but they're still, like from what I'm seeing, a lot of room for upside. So I don't really see that ceiling or that that big bubble that everybody's talking about personally. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah, Stan was right about that. Like, um, like the dot-com bubble, the major difference is people were investing a ton of money into thin air. Like those companies didn't even know how to make money on the internet today. Yeah, a lot of companies are getting investments, but a lot of them are generating crazy revenue too. So. Right. And it isn't even like we've been having these crazy updates. Like if you look year to date, I think Apple and Amazon are like relatively flat. And these are um, two of the three biggest companies on the S&P. So I think that says something. The market just keeps on marching higher day after day um, with these small little upticks. Um, and we haven't really had a correction. Uh, we've had these sort of little setbacks on like the hourly chart, like we'll gap up. We'll fill the gap, have like a little wick, and then sort of uh, march our way back up. So it's like you can't really hold it down. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with yields. And that's the second thing that I want to get into that happened this week is that the U.S. 10-year yield, it just continues to drift lower. The U.S. 10-year yield closed the week at 1.42%. I think we can contribute that to a number of things such as uh, waning inflation fears and people are realizing that economic growth is going to be more muted as we recover out of COVID and things begin to moderate. We may not have that 6% growth next year. It may be something more like three. So people are sort of tempering their expectations. Uh, what's really incredible before we get to the chart is that we called that on this show. We called it in late March. We also called for a rotation out of value and into growth, which is exactly what played out. So if you were listening, you were rewarded with some great knowledge. What do you think, Kalen? The chart? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching it the past few weeks and it looks like it's, yeah, just kind of tapering off, tapering off, and all the stocks are just getting stronger and stronger. Like, you know, I'm in, I'm in a lot of tech stocks myself and they're all setting up. I love all the patterns I'm seeing, all the technicals. Like, 
Amazon, Apple, you know, uh, like Nvidia, all these big charts, all these strong companies are just like, they just look incredibly bullish. Like they're in massive uptrends. There's no signs of slowing down. And like, overall, I just, I love all the charts I'm seeing myself. You see what on you your think, end, Dave? like the tradings. Uh, I, I just, I don't have too many thoughts on the, uh, on the bonds, except that I find it's interesting that between the five year and the 30 year, their charts look like almost identical, which is, which is curious to me because I'm wondering why the time frame. you know, when they say bonds duration is what's important, right? So like, how come they're not kind of differentiating, um, in terms of duration, like five years and 30 years, interest rates and inflation could have many, you know, a huge effect or difference. So I, I think that's, so I think that's uh, completely structural. And we went through all of the uh, structural factors on the last video when we were talking about the inflation illusion. Uh, but the interesting thing is, um, moreover to that, is that I'm noticing, like, obviously, it's great when you have a steepening yield curve, but I'm noticing that the yield curve is starting to flatten a little bit, which uh, from face value may not seem like a great thing. But if you're investing in growth companies, like the companies that Caitlin just listed, that's great because if you're not going to have the really strong GDP, you're going to want to be investing in companies that are going to grow, even if the economy is not growing like 6%. So you want to be with the Facebooks, the NVIDIAs, the Amazons, the Apples, the companies that are going to provide like 20% year over year revenue growth, despite what the economic climate is. And I think, again, uh, what we were talking about the other day is the Tina trade. Bond yields are so low. Where else are you going to get a return if the five years, you know, um, you know, 1%, the 10 years, 1.4%, you're not going to get a return anywhere. So I think the two are inversely correlated. So when I see everything starting to flatten, it's just another call uh, to buy stocks and we're just uh, being validated by the bond market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, did we actually say on the show uh, those months ago that, because I know we talk in private, we're like, uh, we, we talked like in private several times, yeah. yeah. The inflation was kind of fugazi a little bit, like what the media was talking about it, and then we were saying like this whole energy thing, this this rotation of the value might might be a really bad move, and then and then we all took positions of growth, <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of working out now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's literally exploded. Nvidia, since we made that call, is uh, almost up a hundred percent. What's it up like eighty um, yeah. percent? And I I know you know you guys are all um, in with me on that. Uh, but if you can pop up the 10 year again and just put it on like a monthly and really just zoom out because in private me and you were talking about this even before I joined the show and it's just a series of lower highs and lower lows and it's just a channel going lower like even if you can go like multiple months can you like a two month time frame or something I else? can give you a year one year bars yeah so this is just not a chart that I want to buy like we're just in a secular like this is the new normal rates going lower. I'm not going to say rates are going to go negative. I'm not sure if I'm that crazy yet. Maybe one day I'll be saying that. Uh, but right now I just think low rates is, this is the new normal. This is what life is now. And it's not even the 10 year. Look at the 30 year too, man. 30 year gives you even more insight. Yeah, they're all, they're all looking the same. Mm -hmm. It's COVID right there. It, is that the 30 year yield? This is the 30 year, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that just tells a story there. I always say charts tell stories. And um, this is all because of technology. Especially technology. zoomed out this far. But what, what, what concerns me is like, it looks like it's not just like a, like a, like a channel going down, but it's also like, have you noticed it's like a widening channel? That's so a log? Like, this is a log, yeah. Okay, pop Got it out it. of vlog. I'm just curious to see what that looks like. Oh, yeah. That's probably real bad. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Actually, you're, you're yeah. right. It looks more. It looks more like a channel than the thing. Mm. Well, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to watch. We rejected what was it, the 200 on the 10 year. So I'm just curious to see what level that we're going to have to bounce off next, and to see what direction it's going to take. Yeah, last week looks like we pierced 200. We can bounce off a bit and coming back down probably. Well, no, it's, sorry, it's, that's the 200. That's the 50. My bad. Yeah, so we're just literally in no man's land right now, just kind of consolidating between both of those moving averages and just trying to find a direction. 
which makes sense because the bond, which makes sense the bond market would be kind of confused or 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 iffy right now because you really don't know what's going on with inflation. They all we all thought or they all thought they had an idea of where inflation was going, but now it's like not not so not so clear. Yeah, but inflation, even like compared to last year to this year, like the biggest thing that we were kind of talking about a little bit was it was it wasn't really a good correlation because if you're if you're comparing, you know, quarter two to quarter two or whatever you're gonna look at those time frames, we had, you know, like a three month free fall. So if you're looking at that, you know, if you're taking a, a time period in the middle of that market crash and comparing it to to this year, those numbers, like they're not irrelevant, but they're really, really skewed, right? Like you almost have to you almost have to take that big COVID drop out of the picture to get a get a better idea on the longer term of what real inflation is. And it's not nearly as bad as it actually showed in the numbers. And that's kind of what we were talking about. I absolutely agree. And if you took the inflation stance when it was like, you know, peak inflation, when they were talking about it on CNBC and TikTok and Reddit, you were buying Bitcoin at 60,000, you were buying gold at the peak, you were buying copper at five bucks, like, uh, you've really been burnt. So it just shows you sometimes you got to zig when other people zag. And mm -hmm. sometimes you have to make your own point of view because, you know, I always say when everyone's on one side of the ship, the ship shanks, right? So that's one thing there. Um, do you guys want to um, move on to... I thought that was a good next? segue to go to um, Tom Lee's thing. Perfect. Yeah, we, we can go yeah. on to Tom Lee's article. Because I think it was him that, or, or I know a lot of people mentioned it, but to Kayla's point, he mentioned like the, the comparables are like, are great. It's great, great for headlines, but then now we're moving out of that phase where the, the year over year is like, it's, it's more, it's not as skewed anymore because of COVID. So now like you get some real, real data. Well, that's the thing we talk about all the time too, is like, you know, when, you, when you're watching news articles or CNBC or, you know, anything, you, I don't know where you get your news, like half, your, half people get news on Facebook nowadays, but it's like, you know, any, any news station, the only, the only reason, or Reddit or whatever, but like the only reason that they make money is if they get viewers, if they get clicks, if they get likes, all this kind of stuff, right? So like like any news station has to catch your attention. So they're always like, you know. understand, Kalen, the type of people that go on Reddit or go on Twitter or CNBC and like actually looking for ideas for stocks on those platforms. Yeah, well, those. Like why do it's easy, right? Like it's, it's it's the easy way out. You just look and, you know, you see some posts with uh, 10,000 likes where everyone says, oh, you know, stocks are going to crash, so you better put your money here. Like, oh, this this stock is going through the roof, so just buy it. And somebody just look, you know, you're scrolling through and you look at it and you say, oh, 10,000 people like, like this. What does somebody, else, what does somebody hey? else know that we don't? Exactly. We all have access to the same amount of information, the same charts, the same data. Like we're all, you know, in it trying to figure it out, right? Yeah. But that's the thing though, is that like a lot of those people don't know how to read charts and like a lot of people are too lazy to to figure out how to do that, right? Or even people that they aren't necessarily lazy, they're just, you know, they just want that quick money. So if they read some, you know, big exciting headline that says, you know, this stock's gonna go up, you know, 80% in the next six months because of these reasons and you know, inflation's through the roof and blah, 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 then everybody's gonna be like, oh, okay, great. I can make some quick money. Let's throw a whole bunch of cash in here. And, and then that's the end of it. They just put it in there and they say, oh, I read this headline and this is what it told me to do, right? They don't actually look into the background like, like you know, guys like us kind of do, like some people do, but you know, like we, like all of us basically, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we'll see a news headline and we'll go, Okay, well, there's there's obviously something going on here. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a headline. So let's let's dig into the background and see where this headline's actually coming from. Like you know, like David, that 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 headline about Tesla, where they said you know they sold like half as many cars in China, and then it was like it was like three days later, the actual results came out, and they sold like twice as much. It was like yeah. the complete opposite. So you you saw the headline, and you're like, okay, well, this doesn't really make sense. So let's dig into this. You dug into it. And then you bought the dip because everybody panicked and sold and you, you had a nice little swing trade over a few days, right? No, I still have it. I'm up uh, uh, $80 a share now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> because you didn't listen to the headline. You saw the headline and you saw, okay, how, how, can I, how can I actually find some real knowledge behind this to use it to my advantage, right? Instead of just following the headline. Yeah. yeah. So we share a lot of articles in the group between us, and I would say 90% of the time, I'm just face bombing. These articles are just ridiculous. 
Yeah. And yeah, it and it, sure. it's, it's it's all the same recycled garbage. Like it's an article that really was put out six months ago or one year ago, and now it's finally sort of getting a little bit of traction. Like they're telling you all the reasons why you should buy, you know, let's say copper because there's inflation, whatever. And I'm like, man, yeah. we, we we were talking about we we were pricing in the inflation narrative last August, right? Mm -hmm. The market's uh, the best forward discounter, right? It's discounting things eight to twelve months ahead. So that's um that's what I always say. Uh, do you want to uh, actually, before we get into the Tom Lee article, pop up the uh, sector performance for Q2 just before we get into uh, yeah. what's going to happen in the second half of the year? We could talk about what's going to happen now. It's the bar charts. Just a quick note I got to tell you guys, just because I see stuff like this in small caps all the time and it's so much worse. Like just an example off the top of my head, there was one time I saw a company you know, a couple of years ago, I can't remember what it was, but basically they released a news headline that said, we're now selling our products on Amazon. And it's like some super small company. So obviously, you know, the thing gaps up 50%. So literally 30 seconds, looked into the filings, look, looked at the company. It turns out they've been selling their stuff on Amazon for I think a year and a half already at that point. So, you know, they, they released this, they, but they just released the headline because you can do that because they're not lying. Like they are selling their stuff on Amazon. They've just already been doing it for a year and a half. So stock gaps right. way up, I everybody gets excited and then, you know, it crashes. <laughs> I never trust small caps because that's what they do. I mean, they use the term pump and dump, right? And that's exactly what they do. Their investor relations just go and they just uh, have a approach where they just put out these staggered PR um, and they just basically, you know, give all these bogus releases of news articles basically oh this person bought stock we have a partnership with this company and it's yeah. all like a, a a solid company like an amazon like they don't do that they just put their head down they work and when they do have an announcement or something that's noteworthy they'll put it in in the uh uh news release for the um you know earnings release yeah dude that's, that's why that's why Kaylin shorts the shit out of them yeah <laughs> but that's almost like kind of like what news stations are right like like news stations are like the pump and dump guys like they just they just release these bogus headlines to get stocks moving and then you know and then it just does the same kind of thing and just on a bigger scale dude you're, you're like the anti robin hood man <laughs> essentially yeah that was great amc crashed a little bit last week so i just shorted the hell out of it and it was nice I was just going to say, remember that art, there was an article I posted, I think a few weeks ago, it was a Canadian mining company, their stock pumped, I think, I forgot what name it was, I even played it last year, but I didn't know the story behind it. But basically, they released, they released, they paid some writer from like the FT or whatever in the UK to release an article suggesting that they were talking to Tesla to be a supplier for Tesla. Yes, and their stock, I remember the company. Remember? And then the, their, their stock went Giga Metals? Giga, yeah. Giga yeah. materials or whatever. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, right? Yeah, 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 I remember that too. So it got uncovered that either the writer was um, paid to write the article or he's just that stupid. Either way, he uh, caused the stock to spike because there's literally no connection between that company and Tesla, but he wrote that there was, mm -hmm. and then so the stock um, went up and then came back down. Yeah, I think I actually played that because I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, on to materials or the sectors. Let's see, what do you got, Brandon? Yeah, the sectors, yeah. So I just wanted to go through, this is a performance of Q2. And as you'll see, the S&P 500 returned 8% for the quarter, which is crazy because that's essentially what you would get in your average year. Uh, what's interesting is that the sectors that led the way, real estate up 11.4%, technology up 106 communications up 10.2, healthcare up 10.1. So these are all non-cyclical and generally growth sectors. And when you look at the sectors that underperformed, financials, industrials, materials, and with the exception of consumer staples and utilities, because those trade like bonds, these are all cyclical sectors, one that you would expect to do poorly when there are declining bond yields and there's a shift from value to growth. So I think this really uh, plays to the narrative, which, uh, we were uh, talking about on the show and just to say that we were really on top of this. And I think this continues going into the, into the latter half of the year. Wait, so just so I, I'm clear, like this was the previous three months, right? Yeah. So this was the three months, you know, June, May, April. Wait, so that means during the previous three months when everybody was pounding the media saying, go into 
um, value going to whatever, that those are the exact same sectors that are underperforming. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. CNBC people, that's where you get your news. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the cyclicals, I will say, they were market darlings in the first yeah. few quarters of 2021. Uh, the best performing sectors, I want to say, were like energy, financials. Energy still had a uh, a good quarter. It was like what? What does that say? Eight percent. Yeah. But you have to keep in mind like energy is very seasonal, like it's the summer driving season. And like, this is the time where you would expect energy to have a little bit of an uptick. Uh, I'm not particularly excited about energy, but if you look at the industrials, the materials, those are spaces that I think I want to stay away from. I still have like some great companies in those spaces that I like, but what I necessarily want to be like overweight in materials or industrials or financials, like is Caterpillar a name that's really exciting me right now? Absolutely not. You could see some major drags still from COVID, like industrials, like at airlines, negative 10%, almost negative 11%. I think because they did so well in the first quarter. Oh, that makes sense. Air freight logistics, look at that. Home shopping, that's, that's up. Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to look at the individual subsectors. Yeah. And I, I do really like this site, barchart.com. It's a really great resource. Yeah, I didn't know about it. Yeah. Have you seen this before, David, or no? No. The other thing I that can... you can also do is you can find uh, heat maps also. I'm not sure if you can go to the um, left panel, just where we can scroll yep. besides S&P 500 index. Yeah, and you could probably find like a heat map. And it's really cool because you can see all uh, stocks in the S&P 500, 500, just little boxes, either red or green. And if it's like dark green, it means it had like a really good day or... Yeah, so that's not the one I was looking for, but there's one that just has like in one square just every single stock. It's just, uh, it's really, really cool. I'll, maybe I can show you guys after and we can pop it up on another episode, but heat maps are great and you can customize like the time frame. Like if you want to look at like the one year, the five year, the weekly, like it's great. Ooh, alcohol down. What's, what's the world gone to when alcohol's down? <laughs> oh man, probably get the up. Weed is not up. Weed has taken such a big hit this year. It is crazy. Is it? Yeah, it has. Eh? It's weird. You think it would have gone up with everybody sitting at home, but I guess not. You know what? 2017, when all of those stocks went up, that basically like gave you all the gains for like the next like five or 10 years or however many years. Like yeah. they were just amortizing the gains. Like it, it's, um, I'm not sure if you guys were a part of that. I was, and uh, it was just crazy. Like Canopy was um, uh, like beginning of 2016, it was like less than a dollar. And by mm -hmm. the end of 2016, it was like a $17 stock. Went back down to like five or six bucks the next summer. And then one year later it was like a $70 stock. Now it's back at like 25, like just yeah. crazy. Yeah, it just makes it hard for it to climb up, though, because then you got so many bag holders sitting way up there. They're just going to be selling at every pop, right? That is exactly it. And while we're at it, I'd love you to analyze the chart on weed because you're, you're, you, are, you are, like, describing exactly what happened in the chart. Yeah, so the ticker's yeah. weed. I definitely traded every single weed stock that's out there. So Oh, Canopy. Yeah. Canopy, yeah, yeah, I lost. This was my biggest loss for the for for years. Uh, it was really? like a thousand bucks or twelve. I lost like two hundred bucks, I think, in twenty seventeen, and I and I took a thousand dollar loss in twenty eighteen. Um, and and this is and this was one of the biggest lessons I learned. This was the only time I got into a stock, not because I knew anything at all about it. It was because my best friend was in it. And he was making a ton of money. <laughs> so, uh, so you just bought it. <laughs> so I hate to say it, but weed was my second best gainer of all time. Besides Neo, Neo's number one. Um, Nvidia may overtake that, but yeah, pop it up. Uh, take it off log. I, I think that would just give us some real context. Oops. All right, here we go. The monthly. Gotta, gotta drag that guy, make it super small. Maybe you can. The monthly. This is the monthly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Super ugly, man. Yeah, it's an ugly chart. <laughs> Real ugly. I don't even know if it's going to bounce there off. What is that? What's that line? That blue line? Is that the 50? 50, 50 yeah. 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 That's... Look at this declining volume, too. 
I mean, there's not, like, if you look at the volume profile, there's not, like, a ton of weight above it, but, like, most of your weight's, like, kind of around where the price is now, which is good, but, I mean, that's still, like, you know, there's still a lot of people that would have bought into those highs that are just waiting for any opportunity to get out, especially something like this. Like, the more volatile these things get, too, like, you know, when you have those really sharp drops, it doesn't give people a chance to get out, so then you get panicked, and then that's when you get people selling even more aggressively into all the spikes. So guys, how would you feel if you were a holder of Canopy, like you're a big holder and day after day, this thing is making new lows and you just see the market just edging higher day after day, making new highs, all time highs. Wouldn't you just feel impatient to just want to sell your stock and just jump into something going up? A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's the thing though, right? It's like you get, that's why when you get a chart like this, it's so hard for it to go up because you know, like I can't, I can't see the dollar values on this thing, but like, you know, if it, if it pops up, like you have one one big green day where maybe it goes up like, you know, 20% or 30%. I mean, you might've just been sitting there doing exactly what you're saying, Brandon, just like, you know, waiting and waiting, going like, Jesus, this thing is still down. And then all of a sudden you're just so frustrated with it. You get one day where it pops up. So you're, you're taking a little bit of your loss off the table. And you just say, screw it. I'm out of here. And you sell everything. Right. That's, that's why these things are so hard to climb back up. Down 60% since February. Yeah. And like, look at that big wick. Like, I mean, you know, there's, there's people that hundred percent bought right at the very top because they thought it was going to break those old highs. Right. And there's all uh, these people selling them their bags. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what, that's why you have that huge top wick. Right. It's because everybody, everybody, they let it go as high as it could right to those, right to those previous highs. And then as soon as you saw some weakness, everybody sold. That's why you get that massive top wick because everybody's just bailing. So the interesting thing is, is that institutions uh, were burnt in this pretty severely. Now, I don't want to say necessarily Canopy, but a lot of the other smaller ones, mm -hmm. um, in the same way that a lot of institutions were burnt with crypto in the last couple months, um, because there becomes this um, um, notion that a sector is too big not to own. So mm -hmm. when you're a uh, portfolio manager or you're, you know, an, an institutional manager, you have to really stay disciplined. And that's one of the great things about, uh, like when you want to pick a portfolio manager to make sure you have someone that, you know, is just super strong, someone that's not going to, you know, fall for something like this. Yeah. Uh, because the media just pumps it being like, if you don't get into crypto, you are not going to be a part of the new financial revolution. And the yeah. same thing with weed, right? At the end of the day, the way that I look at it is there's some great opportunities. Like, you could probably show me some really cool graphs on like THC use and all the ailments that it helps and everything else. But at the end of the day, it's still a commodity. Like you're still growing a crop and mm -hmm. like, you know, the production of that goes higher and you've seen it in Colorado, like the uh, value that you can sell a gram of weed for goes a lot less, right? The more you produce. Yeah. I know. Like I remember like, cause I, I never bought any of the weed stores for like a long-term thing, but I traded all of them like as they were going up and down and, I remember like one of the biggest reasons I didn't want to buy it, like leading into when it was actually legalized, like here in Canada and everything was because from everything I was reading, I don't remember the exact numbers, but basically like the amount of weed that they were going to be able to produce was significantly more than what they expected the usage was going to be. So like in my head, I was thinking we're going to have this, this massive oversupply and surplus of weed that nobody's going to be able to use. So like my, like my theory was as soon as it basically le got legalized, like very quickly after it's just going to tank because everybody's going to realize that once they see those, those revenue numbers starting to come out versus production. And that's like pretty much what happened. So. Like, yeah. Um, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. No, oh, I, just want to, I, I just want to add, I, I don't think, and even I didn't see this coming, but like the, the home growing thing, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that becoming a thing, but apparently that's like really I didn't popular see that now. Coming either, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know like a lot of people that do that now because, you, you know, you grow, I think one, I think every, like here in Canada, like one person can have like two or three plants and like, no. if you, so I visited it? my best friend, I visited my best friend, I was shocked. So I, I forgot what his prescription was, but I think he could have like six plants per gram. So if his doctor um, prescribed him three grams a day, he's got 18, he's got 18 plants at home. That's crazy. Yeah. He's got three tenths. Yeah. And like, think about how much you can get with that, right? You have a couple seeds and the things just grow, right? I mean, like, Dude, who needs three tenths of weed plants? Well, he used to smoke 30,000 a year worth, and that was buying prescriptions. So, yeah. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, so he's saving a lot of money now, I guess. Yes. Yes, he is. So, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I really think the thing that these uh, marijuana bulls were sort of banking on was federal legalization in the U.S. And if you would have listened to all of the news articles on CNBC and everything else, marijuana should have been federally legalized in 2018. Here we are halfway through 2021, and I'm not even sure what the prospects of that are looking like, uh, just because so that they can get all like the banking acts and that you can like, you can't even have a U.S. company trade on a U.S. exchange. All of yeah. the marijuana companies that are trading on the NASDAQ, like Tilray or Canopy, whatever, those are Canadian companies. So yeah. you can find U.S. companies, but they're traded on the TSXV, I believe, the Venture Exchange or the, the CSV. Yeah. And these aren't liquid. Nobody knows about them. They're good companies. Uh, and maybe there's going to be an opportunity for them to get uplisted. But that could be years away. And maybe there's an opportunity here, maybe... You know, a couple hundred episodes from now, we'll we'll be doing the uh, sort of cannabis segment, but not sure if that's right now. Yeah, that was like, like about the one, of the, one, of the one of the stocks I was swinging earlier this year was uh, it was Indus, it was a company there in California, yeah. And then they uh, their cannabis company, they have like they're really great company, like they're in the states and, and they have like beverages. Yeah, yeah. So they have like beverages, food, like they do all kinds of stuff in all different areas. So it was a solid company and it was like the time it was like a buck 50 a share or something. So I bought a whole whack load of that and um, no, 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 it went up. <laughs> so I bought a whole bunch of that and then, it, you know, it spiked up to like $2 and 50 cents pretty quick. So I just, I sold like 90% of my position. I was going to buy back some lower. So it came, it dropped all the way back down to like a buck 70. Then I bought a little bit more and like basically the thesis behind it was that like you know we were i was kind of just waiting to see how it went with biden and everything coming in like with it, with how he was gonna like you know react to the federal legalization and stuff and then it just kind of got lost in the woodwork so then like at that point it popped back up to like two dollars a share i just took everything off and now i think it's like it trades under lowl as the ticker now like it got bought up by lowell i think is another company yeah, but, so uh, it's, parts, right? like, yeah it's basically just kind of like you know, just drifting off to nothing right now. Cause I mean, they, they could get a big order and it could just shoot to the moon, but like, I, I'm not going to hold an investment. Interesting thing about Indus that you may not know. So you said you got in at like 150, right? Yeah. So I can't give you an exact number, but I believe the number they went IPO at was like 450 or five. It was a lot oh. higher. So that thing, when IPO, they raised a lot of institutional money. I mean, these are the things you got to stay far away from, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so they had some crazy price and they, I believe they did the, um, uh, the financing like sometime in 2018, like during like the very, very, very peak. And then it took a few months for that thing to get listed. And then by the time it had its first trade, I'm not sure whatever price it was at 250, about 50, whatever, but it was already significantly lower than what the institutions got in at. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean, all it, I know about Indus because I was following it way back when. I don't like I don't yeah. follow it today because what would the purpose of that be? But it's not even like a um specific to like one company. Like if you look at all of the other big IPOs, like the big hypey cannabis IPOs, like they're significantly lower than what the institutions paid for them at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was just kind of just across the board, right? Because it's like you said, I mean until it's federally legal, like that's when the narrative might shift a little bit. But until that point, I mean, you're basically just, you know, holding and hoping and, you, you know, that's holding and hoping is never a good investment strategy. Never. That, that, that's not even a strategy. <laughs> Wait, why are you laughing, David? <laughs> no, I just, I just had a funny thought. It's because it's you, you actually looked at some fundamental information to get to decide whether or not you were going to stay or buy more or whatever. But usually you just look at a chart and be like, yeah, fuck this thing. Like, or like short it or like whatever. I, I was holding it for longer than a few days. probably at least know the name of the company. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's your threshold. After a few days, like, all right, yeah, fuck yeah. it. Let's, 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 Once I know the name of the company, I feel like I know everything I need to. <laughs> That's awesome. Brendan's over there just like, <laughs> these fucking guys. Brendan's over there. Have you seen no, my library? No, that's what I absolutely love about this show. I love how we all come to the same conclusions a lot of the time, but we got a short-term guy here. We got more of like a medium-term, like swing trader type guy, and then we have a long-term guy here, and we all follow technical analysis, which is great because it's a discipline that a lot of people don't use, or they say that they know it, but they really don't. And we incorporate fundamentals, we incorporate quantitative research and everything else. 
and we really agree on a lot of things. We disagree on some things, but it's great that even though we come from completely different backgrounds, that we often are able to come across the same conclusions. Yeah. Well, the cool thing I like too is like anytime any of us are looking at a chart, we can just like send it to our group because I know all three of us use different ways, like different ways of finding our levels. Like David loves Fibonacci. Like, you know, I know that Brandon, you love, you know, your moving averages and just your straight like horizontal levels. Like I'm a big horizontal level guy myself. And I like the line chart, which I know neither of you guys use. And, you know, we'll, we'll send something out there. Won't tell each other like what we're thinking. We'll all have like a number in our head and then we'll say, you know, where do you think it's going to go? And, you know, usually we're all within like a pretty small margin of each other. And if one of us is way out, then we kind of have the ability to reassess and say, okay, well, you know, we're usually all pretty on point with our target. So why, what's going on here? Maybe there's something we're missing. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, it's great. Not to toot our horns at all, but we've all been very successful this year. 2021 has been an excellent year. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, definitely a good segue to that is that we think that things are about to get even sweeter. And I think that's a great segment towards Tom Lee's article. Tom Lee. Do you want to explain what? who Tom is to those who don't, who don't know him? Yeah, so Tom Lee is one of our favorite market strategists uh, from Fundstrat. Um, so he updated his S&P 500 target to 4,600 by year end. Uh, and right now we're at, what, 4,350. So I think that implies, what's the um, gain for okay. the year on eight, that? Like seven, 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 8%. Oh, for but the if, year? I don't know. But if you uh, pop that on what we already have and then compound that, I think it's like over 25% gain for stocks this year. Um, I definitely think that it can happen. If we start to get breakouts from large cap tech, like if Amazon breaks above 3550, Apple breaks above 145, 4600 is going to happen. It's in the cards. I think we will, man. Like, like I, like I have, I have a bunch of Apple and Amazon and like, I've, I love the charts. Like they're, they're just breaking out. They're looking super strong. And like, that's the nice thing about these big caps is, you know, you get that, that stair stepping pattern, right? Like they, they go up, they consolidate for a while. And then, you know, even like a year, a year and a half. And then as soon as they break out, you just get this, you just get this big straight push way higher until you get the next consolidation level. And from the, like, just from looking at the charts completely alone, I mean, we're, we're just at the top end of those consolidations now. So oh, Amazon good. is about to break out imminently. Yeah, like me and you sure. have talked about this, David and I, we've all talked about it together. Amazon's going to break out imminently. I think Apple's like almost there, yeah. but I think it like, did. do I think, yeah, it's, that's Apple right there. I, I saw on my chart, yeah, our charts aren't the same for some reason, because I got resistance at 145 and it's at 139. Yeah, just David, if you go to the one day chart, like Apple just broke over its previous high, like the most recent one. And it closed nice. Like right? oh. Yeah, there you go. So we so we broke it over that level, which is really nice. Now we just got to see how it reacts to the very top up there. Like Amazon is my best idea right now, like especially for short term. Like I think that NVIDIA is still the no-brainer. You just overweight that. Um, but going back to sort of what Tom Lee said, I think that we're in a scenario where we're going to see a lot more revisions in target prices because I think it's a psychological thing. I think that as the S&P moves higher and earnings continue to beat, these analysts are going to have to raise their targets because they're not going to look smart when the S&P 500 closes at 4,500 at year end and their target price is like under 4,000. Like who's going to buy their research for the next year if they've been wrong on their calls? So I think that we're in a situation where um, analysts are going to have to start chasing targets, which may end up making the market go up even more. So I think we're in a really good situation uh, if you own stocks. And I think that things are about to get even better. You haven't seen anything yet. So I, I got a question for you, Brandon, just because you have a little bit more information on this than we do for, so like when analysts and stuff are looking at charts, you know, cause like when I look at a chart, say like, you know, I'm in Amazon right now, we're just talking about, cause it looks super bullish. Like I'm expecting a big move up. Like, I have an idea in my head how far it's going to go just because of the chart, but like what, what sort of weight do you put on that as far as like the actual like market cap of the company? Like, you know, if, if you're looking at a chart, say like Amazon, let's just say you're thinking, okay, it's going to go, you know, straight up to 4,000 bucks because that's the way the chart looks. But 
are, are like, like a lot of these analysts, are they, are they weighing in like, well, no, it's not going to go that high because then the market cap would be way too big for what it's worth. Like how much is that? Oh, no, no, they're not looking at, at market caps. I think they're looking at like multiples, like revenue models and cash flow. And again, I'm not as much of a fundamental guy. I'm a fundamental guy from what I get from my dad and my older brothers. So right. I just sort of take from them and I, I learned a lot from them. I'm a technical analyst at the end of the day, but I know that these, um, uh, these investment firms or these investment banks, I should say, that are providing research. Yeah, they'll use a lot of um, like fundamental metrics and multiples. And I think they're usually pretty conservative with their estimates because they want to provide an estimate that is achievable, but they don't want to make it too high because I feel like they don't want to they don't want to look stupid on the high end or the low end. So I right. think they like to give something conservative. In my opinion, I think they're sandbagging it like I don't know the exact number, but I think like the street high on Amazon's like 4,500 or like 5,000. And yeah. I'll tell you, Amazon's eventually going to like $10,000 a share. It's, it's just going to happen. You hold these things long enough and they're innovating. They're growing their revenue 30% a year. They're extremely profitable. I think Amazon's like 40 times next year's earnings, which is like extremely reasonable considering they're growing earnings 30%. So um, to answer your question, I don't think they look at market cap. They probably just look at more so fundamental metrics. Okay. Yeah, I was just kind of curious to that because I know like when I look at stuff, you know, like I look at the company and as, as a, you know, a solid company, like when you talk about Amazon or something like that, but it's funny you say 4,500 because that's kind of what, I, that's the number that I had in my head as well. Like if we get through this, this breakout, I can see it making a pretty quick move to 4,500. Like that was sort of around where my target was. But you have Sam, to keep you in mind- you might this chart up. Yeah, uh, I, I just want to add one thing though. Um, okay, you have that perfect. Uh, so, so to, to just I just wanted to say to your point that analysts are playing it safe. The average price target is forty three, which is exactly what Amazon is right now. So they can't be wrong. <laughs> Wait, is this is this Canadian? Because Amazon's uh thirty yeah, thirty something thirty five somewhere like that thirty five. This is American. Local. So like the highest uh, the highest target is fifty five hundred. The average is forty three. Lowest is thirty-seven seven five. This is uh, out of thirty-one analysts. All all okay, thirty-one yeah, so high. See, I didn't even I don't even look at the price targets. Like I'm just going based off technicals, and I was I had forty-five hundred in my head. Yeah. So me and you discussed this earlier, Kaylin. I think we all discussed this. That if you, I mm -hmm. think we did it on a couple episodes ago. That like if you measure the last breakout, well, we had the last breakout, and you add it on top of the consolidation that we just had, that's like I think forty-six hundred dollars. So it's perfect. Yeah. It ends up with exactly because, you know, in technical analysis, we do a lot of that. Um, you know what, David? I think I mix the two up, Amazon and NVIDIA. Pop up NVIDIA. I think the street high on NVIDIA is a thousand bucks and I think it's BMO. And I still think that is crazy because this, this thing's going to a trillion dollar market cap, in my, in my opinion. Sorry, exactly. A thousand dollars. There's one guy, it's BMO. They just raised it. So yeah. NVIDIA is currently what? Eight, what? Eight twenty, eight forty. I forget the price. It's it's going up too much right now. Ready? Eight, uh, eight nineteen. Okay, so it's it's eight nineteen, and the average price is seven sixty two. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what's gonna add fuel to the fire. All these analysts, they're sweating right now because they said Nvidia was only gonna go to six hundred, seven hundred dollars. And it's already higher than that. And this is the target for year end. So mm -hmm. all of these analysts are going to be forced to raise it. And every time they raise it, it's going to cause more people to buy. So it's like they're literally just adding fuel to the fire, which is going to make this thing go even higher. And more people beat, more people raise their estimates. The company continues to beat on earnings. It's just like a cycle. So yeah. it's a really good situation to be in when you have analysts raising, but they haven't done it yet. Right. I actually saw. Excuse me. I actually saw that happen with Tesla. Um, their mm. Q two, their Q two deliveries. They came out at two two hundred and one thousand units, and just less than ten days ago, every analyst was like about eighty. They're, they're estimating they're going to have like eighty, one hundred eighty five, hundred ninety thousand, the most bullish. Then, like two days before the numbers came out, they all quickly like um, uh, upgraded it to like two hundred and seven, two hundred and six, whatever. So 
And then the headlines, of course, the Tesla missed, missed, uh, missed estimates. It's like, well, first of all, you revised those estimates two, two days before it came out. And before that, you were all like bears. And then now you revised it, like, it, just so you can write the headline that they missed estimates. I'm like, I think I've said this before. I'm like, estimates don't miss deliveries. Like, I'm oh, sorry, deliveries don't miss estimates. Estimates miss deliveries. Deliveries are going to yeah. happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the performance is the performance. Your guess is what's wrong. Mm. So like, how are yeah. you saying that you know, the reality didn't miss your guess? Like, it's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, you look at it like that. Okay, should we, are we good with uh, Tom Lee and go to Krispy Kreme? Yeah, so <laughs> before we get into the Krispy Kreme, I just want to sort of premise it. So it was a really busy week for IPOs south of the border. They had 17 companies list on US exchanges last week. We had cybersecurity company Sentinel One. We had the Chinese ride-sharing giant Didi. But we also had one of America's favorite donut companies, Krispy Kreme. It made its return to public markets after going private back in 2016. Um, the company raised $500 million in the offering, which gives the stock an applied market capitalization of $2.7 billion, which is just over double what the, the company was taken private for in 2016. Um, the stock was priced under the expected range of 21 to 24, which is rarely a good sign, but the stock still managed to close up an astounding 24%. Um, interestingly, I was just looking through the offering and, uh, the company was able to double its revenue and its EBITDA since going private five years ago, which they're, um, attributing to, um, their new omni-channel approach to leverage their donuts and, uh, if you want to look at the stock, uh, it's traded under the ticker D-Nut on the NASDAQ. I think it was just out for like a day or two. I'm on the hourly, so this is what the hourly looks like. Can we agree so that there's meme stock potential with this? <laughs> not that it's anything that I'm going to touch. It's not my wheelhouse, but I can see this catching some fire. Do they own anything else or are they literally just donuts? So they have donuts and coffee shops. I didn't know that they sold coffee. $2.7 billion donut company. That's amazing. <laughs> and they are good. Wow. That's so funny. Yeah. You in revenue last year. Sorry. I was going to say all the, all the Reddit guys are going to get all over this. Cause like, Oh, Krispy Kreme. I can see this being the next thing. So uh, the interesting I, thing is, I'm sorry to interrupt you, David. No, yeah, so the interesting thing about this is that usually when companies go IPO, you know, they'll do a whole marketing thing and they'll, you know, have plenty of weeks of sort of uh, generating hype for institutions, right? And they'll have an expected range. So their range was we were going to go public at 21 to 24. And that's usually like a teaser price, like especially in a good market like this, they'll price it above that range. So it's like 21 to 24. And if it's a really hot IPO, as we say, they'll price it at like 26 or 27, right? This thing got priced at 17. This thing got priced like 20% below the low end of the range, which is like really not a good sign at all. But the thing still rallied to, I can't even see what price it's at, but just uh, 19, a word 10. of caution. But maybe like that was a good thing. Maybe that like kind of spooked everybody out. And maybe there's not a lot of hands holding um, Krispy Kreme right now. It looks like it traded up to 20, just about just over $21 at the high of the day and came back down to 18 and it's kind of settled. It closed at $19 and 10 cents. So, yeah, I, oh, it's over I, I don't know. Yeah, it was, a nice, it was a strong intraday chart anyways. You guys yeah, want to is... see. Do you guys want to see uh, an IPO that that went IPO a few days ago that did really really well? Sentinel One. This one got priced above the range. So again, yeah. uh, not a lot of data over here, but I I feel like we're kind of seeing the inverse here. Like this is one that's like people are really excited about it and like maybe super growth oriented and like a little bit frothy. Um, but with really good growth. Um, but this one got priced above the range and people were just piling into it. And I know yeah, cybersecurity. Like sold off on the first day, but had a nice little pop. 
I know, uh, Kaylin, you're the expert at like pre-market pops or like whatever. Like, what, what does that look like to you? What What's the time frame on that? Well, this was 9.30 in the morning. So this is on the hourly. So this was the, the first day of trading ended here at a low. Then it gapped up the next day. You know, go, to like the, go to like the five or the 10 minute chart. Oh, yeah. Information on it. Your little, oh, yeah. the micro yeah, time like, frames. That looks good. That I think looks it looks good, like a little in, like inverse head and shoulder kind of thing. Yeah, like, I mean, that's like, like that, I don't know if that was the Friday or whatever, that second day there, like when you get that, when you get that pop in the morning and it kind of sells off and then it just holds steady like all day long and you get that push into the close, that's a really good sign. Like th those are usually the kind of things that I'll see like gap up the next day. So is it fair to say this is probably maybe early investors, maybe some employees or anybody that was already in it for a while and just wanted to cash out? Yeah, I mean, it, well, like if you think about it psychologically, like if you look at that first day there, you know, you had that big sell off, big sell off. And then the second day you had this big, strong open and it popped right up, but then it held basically above the main level from the day before all day. So that tells me that nobody from yesterday is selling, right? Because it's the stock held, it's high, like held midday for the whole time. Nobody sold out and then it popped into the close. So obviously everybody that bought that first day, even though it sold off, they're not panicking out of it. Wow, they, they, this is an $11 billion company. That's what they IPO'd at? Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a big company and cybersecurity is just a bigger and bigger issue. Like you see all of these hacks. Like it seems like every week we're getting a new hack, right? <laughs> like there, well, was, just there was a big one. Uh, over sure. before, <laughs> no, there was, there was a big one of, uh, what was it? Like a Swedish uh, grocer or something um, that literally they were not able to open their cash registers over the weekend. Really? Like there's just a new hack almost every day. Yeah, that's surprising. Like headlines, man. Yeah. Was, was that was that just like would they just somebody trying to vandalize their business, or did they try to steal something with that? Um, I mean, it's, the, it uh, seems like they're always asking for some money in return, right? Kind of like a ransom or something, like. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, so so Sentinel one's not cash flow positive yet. Is that it? I mean, they're close, I think, but I, not yet. I, I, I wouldn't expect it to be cash flow positive. Like, we can look at a lot of these new IPOs. Like, you know, we had a, a bunch of really big ones like Roblox last year and everything else. Um, I actually do want you to look at something, David. Yeah. I'm not That's sure what the ticker is, but if we want to look at the IPO index, it's the Renaissance IPO index. Uh, I'm not sure what the ticker is on that, but... I'm a I'm an ape. How do you spell Renaissance? Is it R E N A I S S A? Let me find out the um ticker on this, but uh yeah, David and I don't have very good verbal skills, as was our IQ test results. Okay, okay guys, it's I'm just gonna make proven. I IPO USA. <laughs> I did like that test though, you that, that trader posted up. IPO USA is a well, one word. You guys are, yeah, IPO USA. You guys are damn good traders, so it does not matter. Yeah, we don't oh, here we go. Oh, okay, sorry, that was the. Yeah, so pop it up go. on like a daily, maybe. Yeah, yeah. so this is the, um, basically the IPO index of like all of the um, American IPOs, the one IPO over the last year. They're still holding like some of the ones from last year. That one IPO, but still, like you can see that these things were like incredible performers. They had like a pretty sharp correction, and like now they're kind of. I'm not sure if they're going to make a lower high type thing, but just interesting to watch that IPOs have been uh, in vogue lately, last couple of years. That's pretty cool. Like, like since COVID, what, is, what does this chart actually track then? Like it just like each day, it only it only tracks what the what the IPOs were on that specific day and how they performed. Oh no! Like what what they do is they'll buy the IPOs. Like let's say like for example like Bumble went IPO in back in February. Like they would buy shares of Bumble and they would just hold on to them. Now I'm not sure what the time period is. Like do they drop them up after a year or two years or whatever? Like I know they're still holding some of the ones from last year. Right. Maybe it's a year. I don't have the exact metric, but they hold all of the uh, new companies, the companies that are just recently listed never seen that before so this is just a good barometer just to have on your list just to watch because mm -hmm. i think that ipos like you don't want them to be too hot because when they're too hot they're going to take away money from you know the large cap equities 
and right. like the things that really move the market, but you don't want them to be ice cold too. Cause if they're ice cold, then it shows people are just really fearful and people don't want to risk their dollars at all. Looks to me the ETF just ran into some supply and is about yep. to do a 10% pullback. It's interesting. Right into the 50. I agree with you. I, I think it's forming a lower high and then uh, maybe a higher low, maybe an equilibrium. So that's not good for IPOs. Oh, poor Coinbase. <laughs> yeah, so Coinbase is definitely a big boy on this one. Yeah. What's that now? Anyways, I haven't looked at that in a while. Dude, that was a scam and a half, man. That thing came out. It was like, do you, do you, I don't know if you remember, like there was like the rumored IPO price and like every day it would, it would go up. Yeah. yeah. It went, it went as high as 420, I believe. And why 420? Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. That's I drew that in a while ago. But I'm going to take that off. <laughs> I think it's found a bottom. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it has. It's, it's perked it's up a little bit. bit so. Silver lining. Yeah, I just think there's a cap on that, man. Yeah, well, I do think it's a good company, though. Like, I'm not a crypto guy, but I think that like the amount of users that they've amassed and the fact that they can charge like a spread, like if people buy Bitcoin, they charge a pretty hefty fee. And if they can turn more into like a crypto bank, so to speak, and they can keep these users for like years and decades to come. I don't see why Coinbase can't be a contender there. I just think it's frothy. And we all know that uh, a lot of the holders, like the employees and, you know, executives, they, they were dumping their stock. Yeah. I remember I saw the, uh, the Q1 uh, report. It was maybe it was Q1 report or press release, but they were saying as soon as January hit, almost 40 or 50% of their revenue came from uh, institutions and uh, high net worth individuals. And that's why I'm curious about the Q3 numbers, because I feel like that, that market's dried up for them. So I'm wondering how it's going to impact their, uh, their fees for the revenue. And I think that could be a catalyst for taking the price down a little bit further. Because hmm. well, 50 still... billion dollars. Is it still 50 bill? Yeah, 50.621. Yeah, that, that just does not make a ton of sense to me. Like, like how big is Goldman or, or like a Morgan? I think Goldman is like, I think Morgan's a couple hundred, maybe like three, four hundred if I'm correct. But let's, let's check that out. But like, you know, new kid on a block comes out 50 bin, you know, gets a, it gets a decent uh, price. Uh, it's a decent percentage value wise compared to like a bank, a full fledged bank investment firm that's been around for like a hundred years. That's um, so Goldman is 120. And JP Morgan is almost 500, but JP Morgan's like just the behemoth of just the world banking. But, you, but even then you look at, you look at the two and you're like, is Coinbase really 10% of uh 10% of that company? Like, if, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just shows valuations are pretty froth, froth, frothy right now. Yeah. Um, especially in the crypto space. And I still think that with Bitcoin and with crypto, I still think there's another shoot to drop. I don't think that that's it. And my whole theory is that when the market does have a correction, because eventually broad market will have a correction. I'm not sure from what point. I think everything's just going to come down together. Like there's going to be a crescendo. And I think that's when Bitcoin will finally bottom. Just like we saw in March of 2020, they all bottomed together. Bitcoin bottoms a little bit earlier, which I think is probably going to happen again the next time that there's a correction. Um, and by the way, I don't think the S&P corrects anytime soon. I think any setback is a buying opportunity, but it's cyclical, right? You make highs and lows. People forget that. The NASDAQ just broke out. Yeah, we were watching that little ascending triangle for a while on this show. How many times did we mention that it was basing for six months? Yeah. I, I will say one thing that's interesting about Bitcoin, though, it seems to be an early warning sign because usually when Bitcoin tanks um, significantly, the broader market, something will happen within, with, to the broader market within two to four weeks. 
I don't know if it's because it's such a high risk asset that as soon as the first signals of something's going to be something broader is happening, people are pulling their money out of the most risky assets and it kind of like crescendos down. But I, I, I have noticed a trend where Bitcoin will react to something and then the broader market will, will tank shortly after. Well, that definitely happened in March. Like when did Bitcoin bottom last time? Like I want to say like March 5th, I think was the day. And then the S&P bottomed on March 19th. So yeah, like exactly two weeks. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, so I agree. I just, I think that Bitcoin's stuck in the mud right now. No doubt about it. Uh, it's going to be interesting though to see how low it can go. And I definitely do think that there's going to be a buying opportunity. The first time I've said that on the show, by the way, buying opportunity and Bitcoin in the same sentence. Yeah. But, you know, it's the old Warren Buffett saying, man, you got to buy when everyone's fearful. Yeah. So when everyone's greedy. And that was exactly Bitcoin. Like, I, I still um, talk about your bet with Willie Wu, man. That one goes down in history. That, that was a funny one because I'm a subscriber to his newsletter. I like his data, obviously. I like his analysis. But when I see something's wrong, I'm like, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> like, that's not, you know, I'll put my money down too. So, yeah. Yeah, Johnny, when you're in this space long enough, when you're investing for long enough, you're going to have people that you really admire and you love their rhetoric and you love their research and everything else. But you're going to have things that you just blatantly disagree with, right? I think, uh, Kaylee, uh, I, I, this is probably in your books, but like, I, I figured like it's, um, it's really important to like form your own opinions. Like it's fine to follow people for, for whatever, get their feedback, get their appointment, get their perspective, but then you really have to form your own opinion too. Otherwise, mm -hmm. how can you either, either as an investor, Brandon, or like a trader, right? Yeah, for sure. Cause the only way you're going to have confidence to hold on to your position is if you know why you're in the trade, not because someone else told you why to be in the trade or right. Otherwise you'll just, you get panicked out and you sell at the wrong time and you buy at the wrong time. You have to make the decision yourself. If you don't, you're never going to make money. Like it's basically never take, stock tips from anybody like you, you have take, to have you can, you can take stock tips but do your own research and come to the come if you come to the same conclusion on your own that's different right? well, when i'm talking about a stock tip is like when you know you're on the street and someone says oh buy you know 100 shares of xyz company because there's good, something big's gonna happen like you hear no. about these stories all the time like people tell me about a company that they really like and the reason why they like it is because you know their friend told them to buy it and yeah i don't know yeah that's well, no way to invest when your barber tells you to buy this ev company you know it's time to sell it <laughs> <laughs> yeah right that's like oh pulling the shoot that's it that's the sign yeah 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 in the book uh, reminiscences of a stock operator my favorite book uh, jesse livermore who made billions and lost billions in uh, the roaring 20s and the great depression he uh often talks about the shoeshine boy when he's giving tips or yes. the newspaper boy uh yeah. that's always you know the best time to sell yeah, yeah my, that's my regret man i only got like two chapters into that book it's a good book sorry caitlin no i was just gonna say i gotta read that that's next on my list you have to read it. It's an enjoyable read. And like, he didn't actually write it like someone else wrote it, but it's, uh, it's just an enjoyable read. And he was kind of like, um, a little bit of, uh, I, I want to say like ahead of his time with technical analysis, because mm. back in the day you would go to these like illegal sort of, um, like underground trading houses and it'd be kids that like on a chalkboard, they would write uh the price of different shares right and they would update them like every hour right because they would come through like telegraph or whatever mm. and that's how you would trade you wouldn't have a computer that i don't i don't think everyone had access to a ticker tape so like he was one of those boys that was like writing the numbers and then erasing them and every hour he would write down a new number and he would realize that the numbers like they made sense to him like there were support and resistance lines like he was writing it down and like it just made sense how things were moving so then he started putting money down and he started making money because he like it was really rudimentary technical analysis like he was doing like support and resistance and when you make a new high you buy and then when you make a new low you sell but it actually worked and the market was just so inefficient back then inefficient yeah so those yeah. things work like imagine if you with your you know trading expertise were trading back then different man i can't even i couldn't even imagine and everybody was trading uh on tips back then 
like no yeah. one really knew what they were doing for sure. And um, the other interesting thing about that is that people were able to take, I think like leverage to the point where you were only able to put like 2% down. So you could be like 98% leverage. Mm. Yeah. So like, just imagine the margin calls that you would get on that. Yeah, Things were just way more volatile and there's regulations in place for that now. Well, plus your spreads on those, like back, I don't know what it was in the twenties, but I know even in like the seventies, it was like, you know, even in the seventies, it was probably still like half a cent, right. Or like half a dollar. Sorry. It's like the spread would be like, you know, say 26 bucks and 2650. It's like if you buy, you know, if you buy on the ask, you sell right away on the bid, you're already down 50 cents. And then it just like yeah. over the years, it slowly straight. And then it became a 25 cents and then 15 cents. And it just kind of narrowed all the way up to a penny. Yeah, I think the spreads were pretty big. If I can recall, he was like buying, they were like 25 cents or whatever. And it's just really interesting. The companies that uh, they were trading back then, they're all like either material companies or railroads. Like they were just like one of the two. Like that's why they call it the Dow Jones industrial average, because I think there was a rule that like 28 out of the 30 companies on the average had to be railroads. Like it's just really funny compared to now. Like there's what, like how many industrial companies are there on the Dow? You have uh, Caterpillar, Boeing, uh, Dow Chemical, um, I can't think of any others, right? Yeah. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, I got to read that one. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to read it. I usually read it every couple of years. I'm going to read it for like the fourth time, probably in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. All right, you guys want to Yeah. Um, any closing remarks from any of you guys? No, I guess uh, theme of the episode to me kind of felt like, you know, just just – as it always is, it seems to be just do your own research, you know, like you see a news article, somebody tells you a tip, anything, it's fine to find a, for them to point you in a direction, but just, you know, just do the research yourself, make your own decisions. It's going to give you confidence in your own trades and then you're not going to make a mistake and you're going to know why you're in it. Yeah. I, I don't think I have anything better to add to that, except maybe, um, you know, maybe if you look, look at analysts, Look at their targets, but kind of ask yourself what the questions Brendan were asking. Like, how did you reach these targets? Like, what's what's your reasoning behind it? Because it's those are really important things to know. Because you know, clearly they they may not know what they're talking about either. Yeah, the other thing that I want to add is just it was a great Q2. I think that uh, Tom Lee's forty six hundred dollar target is definitely not out of sight. Uh, I think that um, you know we have a lot of pent up demand. We have a lot of money on the sidelines. Interest rates are low. I think. Uh, being in equities is a really great call right now. And I think 4,600 is definitely in the cards. And I think uh, stay bullish and stay long. Cool. I like that. All right. See you next Maybe week. Great. Everyone have a great day.